0: Good. new art on stage.
1: Welcome to the second podcast of Gesellschaftsspiele, the Art of Assembly, a series of lectures and talks on the political and artistic potential of gatherings. My name is Florian Malzacher. I'm a curator and writer. And this podcast is based on a live online conversation that took place on February 19th, 2021. The series is produced by Brut Produktionshaus in Vienna in collaboration with Münchner Kammerspiele and Wiener Festwochen. Parallel to this there's also an internet platform with lots of videos and additional material so if you want to dig deeper into the topics of this podcast please visit www.art-off-assembly.net. In the art of assembly we try to investigate the role but also the potential of assemblies in politics activism and art marking the 10th anniversary of the square movements that spread all over the world, beginning with the social protests in Tunisia and Egypt, and then continuing in different forms over the past years, basically all over the planet. The fact that we talk about assemblies without being able to physically assemble, obviously bears some irony, and one might feel even a bit nostalgic when talking about all these gatherings in the past. But actually, I think it's a good moment to talk about this with a balance of distance and desire and a bit of insistence on the necessity to assemble again in the future. Last time, together with the choreographer Dana Yalomi from Public Movement and the political theorist Oliver Marchat, we looked at the concept of pre-enactment and how far assemblies can be pre-enactments of a different political reality. And also focused on artistic approaches. This time we will dive deeper into the role and the potential of assemblies in activism, partly by looking at some of the very square movements I was just mentioning, but also in other contexts, uh, such as occupied factories and climate justice struggles. Even though assemblies obviously existed throughout history, I guess that many of us now, when we hear the term assembly, first think of Tahir Square, Occupy Wall Street, 15M, and other movements. Assemblies played a central role in these movements. They were backbones, but also the hearts, perhaps the brains of these movements. But they also created an image. And this image became almost iconic and is very crucial for the reception of these movements today. They became images of what direct democracy might look like. The concrete movements are more or less all gone. Some transformed into other movements, into structures, into parties. But what also stays is the. Deep experiences that shape the participants, and we will hear about this, but also the very images they produced and that live on. So today we start with a lecture by filmmaker Oliver Ressler, who has quite some part in producing these images, and he will focus in focus in his role in his lecture on the role of assemblies for very different social movements over the last years. And then we continue with a deep look into one of these movements, into the assemblies of the 15M movement in Spain in 2011 by Julia Ramirez Blanco. Each lecture lasts about 20 minutes, and after that, we will have a conversation. So I'm very happy to have you here, Oliver, because your films enabled me and many others to get an impression of the different social movements and assemblies in very different places. You really became a kind of a chronologist of these movements. For those of you who don't know Oliver's films, we put some on uh, our website. Oliver Ressler lives in Vienna and produces installations, projects in public space, and films on economics, democracy, racism, climate disruption, forms of resistance. He has been exhibited in museums and biennials all over the world, and currently works on a research project on the climate justice movement called Barricading the Ice Sheets. In his lecture, Oliver shows some excerpts of these films, which you obviously won't be able to see. You can watch them on our website later. Uh, but we dubbed the films when necessary in English, so you will be able to grasp the content anyway.
2: The way we are meeting here is very specific to our time. In a sense, meeting while physically distanced in front of computers in different cities could almost be seen as the opposite assembling, which as I understand it involves a physical dimension of bringing people together. But right now it looks like this is the only way we can discuss anything at all. I first focused on assemblies for a very particular reason. In 2007 I started work on a large scale project consisting of conversations with activists and political analysts in 18 cities across the world. The project, What is Democracy? discusses failures of representative democracy and ideas for the organization of a more inclusive and truly democratic society. I worked alone on this project making use of unrelated invitations to travel, conducting and filming the interviews simultaneously. The budget constraints that led to this method meant I also opted only to talk to one person on camera at a time. And realizing the shortcomings of this approach I decided that in later projects, I would document the democratic processes themselves, the assemblies and work meetings. I also had another reason to focus on assemblies. Even in previous work using individual interviews, I never placed personal stories at the center of my films. My interest was always analysis of the underlying social structures, racism, capitalism, and how they can be resisted. Of course, political change can only be achieved by committed people working together. So the next logical step was to center my films on instances like assemblies, the potential catalysts of this change. This is probably an obvious thing to say, but in working across different countries, documenting and collaborating with a wide range of movements, I noticed the degree to which specific local contexts influenced and shaped the assemblies. I also came to realize that coming as I did from the outside, the extent of my access to assemblies and my chances of filming them seemed to depend directly on the intensity of political repression the group I was working with was experiencing in its city at a given moment. Early in 2012 I tried to film the Square and Occupy movements in Athens, Madrid, and New York for my film and free channel video installation Take the Square. In Athens, local activists helped me obtain access to the assemblies. I was able to speak there and I asked participants for permission to film what was happening but permission to film was denied, exactly as the local activists who supported me had predicted. Usually I want to see things like this myself, so I only give up after having tried as hard as I could. Repression of the movement in Greece was severe at that time when I sought filming permission, with good reason. People were trying to avoid risky things that could result in prosecution. Working on the same project two weeks later in Madrid, I had trouble filming assemblies again. After a few rejections, activists at one assembly agreed to my request but subject to restrictions filming only with one camera from a position decided in advance at a very specific angle and for a limited time. They lowered the light in the space and placed a few people already known to the police in the direct view of the camera. And I'm sure they also took care not to discuss potentially compromising matters on film. This framework actually ensured that everything filmed was boring and none of it could be used at length. My third and last attempt to film assemblies for Take the Square was in New York. When, sorry, what I experienced there was as unlike Athens and Madrid as could be. Quite a few people were filming assemblies and working meetings at Occupy Wall Street with their mobiles. When I asked early on in the assembly whether participants would approve filming, the question seemed strange to some, because they were used to be filmed constantly. So now I want to show you an excerpt filmed at Occupy Wall Street in Central Park in April, 2012. At the start, you can see activists presenting the themes of working groups they were facilitating, followed by a short part of the discussion from a working group on occupation.
3: Education, peace and anti-war, the anti-racism group. We're doing housing, police and prison, budget cuts and taxing the rich, feminism and gender issues. We wouldn't have an Occupy Wall Street. We wouldn't have an Occupy Wall Street if we didn't have an occupation. If we didn't have an occupation. To talk about occupation, or anyone that wants to talk about occupation, we're gonna meet at that tree, we're gonna meet at that tree, to the left of the big rock, to the left of the big rock. I'll be there with this sign, I'll be there with this sign.
0: An occupation is exclusive. Some people can spend a lot of time at Occupy Wall Street, and some people can't. Like, some people have kids, you know. Some people, like like the woman who was talking before at the beginning of the G.A., and she made, like, the kind of coarse comment that she didn't have time to shit because she had two kids and two jobs. If you make the movement all about the space of the occupation, that, like, it is exclusive in that way. But on the other hand, there's, like, the flip side of, like, what the people who spent, like, so much time there gained from that, which was a sense of community and, like, the empowerment and the self-awareness that you gain by living with other people.
3: What started in Zuccotti Park, that was allowed to continue for two months due to some legal kind of vagaries, uh, and then spread throughout the country and throughout the globe. I think it really shows the power of occupation, and resulted in a systematic, coordinated effort by, you know, the government um, and leasing agencies to evict each and every occupation so I think moving forward and organizing around occupation using it as a tool um, it should be very flexible and adaptable um, accessible to people that want to come in I mean having a 24-hour presence where anyone can come in and engage and like get information about ways that they can engage in their own way with activism and and grassroots uh, organizing I think is really important Presentability is really important, relatability. Wall Street, Wall Street, take the height. Now's the time to, to the Wall Street, Wall Street, take We're not back, we never left!
0: We won't stand for Wall Street's death! We're not back, we never left!
3: We won't stand for Wall Street's death! We're not back, we never left! We we must stand for Wall Street's yeah, We're right. not back, we never left! I think an occupation can be empty presence, um, but it can also be, as, as Zach was saying, something quite dangerous. Like, the state has understood that it's dangerous. People talking to each other is dangerous. That's, an occupation does, makes a public space where anybody can come, and instead of asking the state to speak for them, they speak for themselves. We have this new loophole where we can sleep on sidewalks. Um, and I heard this, uh, Wall Street isn't everywhere. The stock exchange isn't everywhere, but Wall Street, capitalism is. And sidewalks also are. So if you're in Peoria, you have sidewalks and you have some symbol of capitalism. Go sleep in front of it. And I think we can model that here. Uh, we are also having a meeting at 7 tonight on Wall Street to start talking about what would it mean to identify, like, five pillars of capitalism corporate media, for example, Fox News, corrupt legislature, city hall, whatever, go sleep in front of them, start one night and then come back to base. And what would it mean to kind of decentralize this thing? Two
2: years later, together with the political analyst Dario Arcellini, I worked on a cycle of films about factories under workers' control. In most of these cases, workers were radicalized by struggles to hold onto their jobs and finally managed to get their hands on the factory. They were able to bring production processes under their control, collectively setting up new working relationships without the involvement of bosses. Workers control is familiar from Latin America, for instance, from Argentina and Venezuela, where Dario and I first documented self-managed factories in 2005. But following the financial and economic crisis of 2007, 2008, workers also took over a few European factories and organized production on a non-hierarchical basis. So we made a cycle of four films each focusing on a single factory under the overarching title Occupy, Resist, Produce, a project we worked on between 2014 and 2018. So now I'll present an excerpt from Officin Zero, uh, shot in Rome at a plant that once produced railroad sleeping cars and was repurposed as an eco-social factory, repairing, recycling, and producing furniture, electronics, and domestic appliances. Officina zero stands for zero bosses, zero exploitation, and zero pollution. And this excerpt I'm showing now comes from the General Assembly in December 2014.
4: We have a good project which is broad and participatory. It tries to provide answers in a situation in which there is a total destruction of workers' rights, increasing unemployment, terrible living conditions. Between ourselves we always say, give us the money, but we should start to shout it a little louder to the outside. Money should go to these initiatives. Furthermore, we should also concentrate more on what we have to offer. We have the strength of a broad range of worker struggles, and we have occupied a place. These are the cards in our hands. Apart from the project, this is our insurance. Because not only we not have other funds, for example, settlement payments, but we also don't want to give them a penny, neither to the banks nor those who could give us a loan. We put forward our lives as a sort of warranty. In gioco elementi di I agree. I agree with Elisa that we have done a lot of practical work the last months. We created a lot of projects, we have undertaken a lot of maintenance, we have organized a lot. An organization that also reflects a political decision. Our organization is not random. The idea behind is that it consolidates a group in which we can build a common framework, one we all agree on, and that brings this project forward. But we have stopped doing what we did during the first months, when we did a little more than engage in politics. I say this, meaning we debated a lot. The main discourse we have now regards the business plan and the dispute, which is a complex debate.
0: We should change our attitude in respect of... What we do, we should be more, let's say, more professional in our attitude. I mean, we are here as, let's say, as possible buyers of this place, testing the house before buying it. I don't know if you get it. So let's try to demand more respect from the trustee, not behaving like we are occupying a social center, a house, or when we engage in other actions. We have to frame everything in a way that makes it easier easier for us to present ourselves as absolutely credible regarding our plans.
2: Cioè, cioè quando occupiamo le case, cioè quando facciamo altro tipo di azioni, perché dobbiamo inquadrare la cosa in una modalità che ci permette molto più uh, facilmente uh, di come dire rappresentarci come assolutamente credibili soggetti
3: per l'operazione che vogliamo fare.
2: The last film I would like to present has not uh, yet been exhibited. Not Sinking Swarming is a 37-minute long film, uh, which forms part of an ongoing artistic research project on the climate justice movement. The film centers on a four-hour assembly in Madrid in October 2019 were delegates from various environmental groups gathered to prepare an act of civil disobedience. In the course of the discussion, we learn how the network is structured around multiple working groups, each of which takes on a particular responsibility, such as training, food, communication, logistics, design of the action, strategy, interaction with police, demands, care and finance. In order to avoid potential criminalization of participants by the Spanish authorities, all faces are pixelated to conceal the individual's identity. The pixelation gives the film then its unique visual appearance. Not thinking swarming includes footage from the civil disobedience of October 7, the most significant action planned at the assembly. Hundreds of activists blocked a busy highway overpass near the Nuevos Ministerios in Madrid. The occupation was part of an international week of rebellion for climate justice.
0: There is an issue with the spokespersons. It needs a bit of attention, because what we have is a position paper and a way to identify ourselves that is agreed upon, and that we will communicate to the spokespersons. But if you read the document Legal Standards for Spokespersons, this goes against what it says. It says you shouldn't identify yourself, you should say you are a participant. Imagine some people are identified, and people are outside as press from our own organizations, in charge of putting the media in contact with people in the action. They know who the spokespersons are. They will want to identify them as members of... as spokespersons of 2020 and XR Spain, right? How does this fit together? No.
4: What the guidelines say is that the spokespersons shouldn't be conveners. The risks are that they could be considered conveners who made a call to join an illegal action that implies disobedience. If you get there and say, hi, I am a 2020 spokesperson, I am an Extinction Rebellion spokesperson, We have a problem, legally speaking. Is it necessary to use the word spokesperson? Because I think we can find something else to call them. Climate rebellion participants.
3: From
0: now on, we make it clear that they are not spokespersons, but participants in the action, participants in the climate rebellion. On behalf of Greenpeace, we need to share something related to legal issues. It has to do with the fact that we were late posting on social media the other day because we did a legal analysis of potential consequences for organizations, not only for the people. Our lawyer's legal report says that we could be convicted of secondary civil liability up to 300,000 euros. The amount could be legally divided in equal shares between all collectives, so Extinction Rebellion and 2020 in equal shares. This could happen in a month or in five years, when a potential trial takes place. Extinction isn't the legal entity. Extinction isn't the legal entity, but the member organizations of 2020. We should assume this is something that could happen. Greenpeace would assume its part and each of the other groups would have to assume their proportional part of the 300,000 euros of secondary civil liabilities as conveners of that action, if worst comes to worst.
4: I don't want to get into the worst-case scenario, but if they decide to charge you with unlawful association precisely because there's no recognizable legal structure, they could charge two of the founding members or to active members. There are these two levels of responsibility, so not being a legal entity won't absolve us a priori. This is why I am strict about who are the spokespersons, because I see a legal risk of being charged with unlawful association, because they consider it an illegal demonstration, a demonstration to commit a crime.
2: So. What might all this mean? It's clear that our current social movements organize differently from historical movements, which tended to revolve around charismatic male leaders. Just as clearly, it's not simply about winning influence and power. The whole point is to reorganize and restructure society from the absolute basics and on upwards from there. In today's social movements, there's no longer any distinction between leaders and followers. What we have is a genuinely leaderless, self-organized movement. This means every attempt to portray charismatic movement figures cinematically, as in a recent film on Greta Thunberg, must be considered a failure simply by virtue of its approach. Works of that sort should not be seen as serious examination of the real-life social movement. This is why the assembly appears in several of my films as a site of negotiation where the bodies of singularities converge. There is no attempt to hide differences of political opinion or disagreement over methods. But what stands out through all this is a shared commitment and determination to do something together. The assembly is the most important tool in existence today for democratic organizing and collective decision-making.
1: Thank you so much, Oliver, for this. We will talk uh, soon about it further. And now I'm very happy to introduce uh, Julia Ramirez Blanco, who is an art historian and lecturer in Barcelona University. And um, well, the main reason why you're here tonight is you're the author of a book, Artistic Utopias of Revolt, where you give a deep insight into movements from the um, uh, Reclaim the Streets movement in London up to the 15M movement, which we'll talk about tonight. And you also have an upcoming book about the 15M movement, which unfortunately first will be only in Spanish, but then hopefully at some point also in English. Julia Ramirez Blanco has lectured extensively in places such as Princeton or Columbia University, the Sao Paulo Art Museum, or the Reina Sofia Museum.
5: Hello, Uh, firstly, I would like to thank Florian for the invitation and also to say that I'm very happy to share this session with Oliver to talk on precisely what we are missing so much nowadays, which is assembling. Uh, I am going to talk about an experience that uh, many people shared, in what is now ten years from now, ten years ago from now, which has to do with the Occupy movement and its different uh, versions and the different uh, countries in which it took place. I was in Madrid at that time, so I participated in what was called the 15M movement, and this name came because of the name of the date, the 15th of May in which uh, demonstration took to the streets in various cities and after which uh, a small camp emerged in the city of Madrid which would become an enormous camp within days and which would uh, spike the creation of uh, different uh, camps in different cities all over the country and very soon all over the world. In this uh, complex uh, place, which was the Madrid camp, The space was taken up by thousands of banners, which represented an idea of direct democracy in which each individual expresses their own opinion in an ensemble that adds up like a mosaic or like a collage. This uh, taking of the word, this uh, recuperation of language that was taking place through the use of banners had its strong parallel in the use of the space as a place for direct democracy, in which uh, assemblies were taking place all the time. The General Assembly took place uh, two times a day, and uh, it had to do with uh, various of the principles of of the camp and with some of the slogans which were most repeated. One of them was, they call it democracy and it is not, Another was, no, they don't represent us. And another one yet was, our dreams do not fit in their ballot boxes. Um, The camp in Madrid emerged just before the elections of the regional government. So in a way it was a response to representative democracy. And this response was through direct democracy. In her classic book, The Concept of Representation, Political scientist Hannah Fenichel Pitkin noted that the very idea of representation is based on a paradox of being present and at the same time not being present. She also notes that the origins of the representation and democracy are not the same. Representation was born in the Middle Ages and was an imposition of the monarchs. Its association with democracy came with the English Civil War and was consolidated with the revolutions of the 18th century. However, from the very beginning, there was a questioning of this association. And this questioning has to do with the idea of questioning whether democracy and representation can actually coexist or if they are maybe a contradiction in terms. The Spain of uh, 2011, on its, uh, on its hand, on its case, had a lot of triggers that fuel this question again, the question of the crisis of representation. And while the crisis of representation was one of the causes of the social movement that emerged at that time, it was also one of the consequences. If in 2008, according to the Eurobarometer, 77% of the Spanish population felt That they were satisfied with the democratic quality of the country, in 2013 the proportion almost was reversed and 75% of the population believed that uh, representation was not adequate and felt themselves to be dissatisfied. In this context there is also a questioning of the idealized foundations of Spanish democracy with the so-called transition regime after the dictatorship of Francisco Franco ended. The rejection of the two-party system in the Spanish camps was, came together with the denunciation of how the financial powers act as de facto governing entities. And the practice of the movement itself made a resolution of this uh, crisis of representation through its uh, assemblies. And in a way, as it displayed its assemblies in the Madrid Puerta del Sol, which is the place where the city hall is situated, it acted like a mirror image, as a reverse of the representative politics that was taking place there. Uh, Gemma García Fernández is an activist, a pedagogue, and an art historian, and she was uh, part of the Dynamization uh, Committee of the General Assemblies. Together, this uh, group uh, was uh, trying to regulate the massive assemblies that were taking place in Porta del Sol. And they also did a complex document in which they reflected in what was uh, weeks of very hard and straining work. In this document, they reflected on the notion of collective thinking. And they said, and here I quote, normally when faced with a decision, two people with opposing ideas will tend to confront each other and fiercely defend their ideas, setting as their objective to convince, to win, and at most, to reach a middle ground. The objective of collective thinking is to build, however. That is, two people with different ideas put their energies into building something. It is not a matter of my idea or yours. It is the two ideas together that will give a new product that, pr- that a priori neither you nor I knew about. That is why active listening is so necessary in which we are not only preparing the answer that we are going to give. Collective thinking is born when we understand that all opinions, our own and different ones, all of them are necessary to generate an idea of consensus, an idea that after its construction, transforms. us. In the assemblies of uh, Puerta del Sol, thousands of people learned a simple sign language to express applause by doing like this with their hands, veto or blockage by doing this with their hands, or to uh, ask for more brevity by doing this uh, with their hands, or asking for the volume to be raised. This sign language uh, was inherited from the global global justice movement. and it also had come through the squatted social centers of the different uh, places in the Spanish state and in the Spanish uh, capital. Mm-hmm. However, uh, the acampada, in the acampada, the assemblies uh, faced a lot of challenges which were not present in these earlier moments, and which were not definitely present in their, which were definitely not present in the social centres, in the squatted social centres, and which are also not present in smaller versions of social movements. Uh, One of them has to do with um, the lack of experience of many people with the assembly system, which calls for a constant pedagogy in which activists were having to explain how the system worked all the time. There were also many interventions which were merely cathartic in which people explained their human dramas related to the economic crisis that came after 2008. And also there were harangues and uh, speeches which were just expressions of anger or enthusiasm. With time, the Committee for the Dynamization of Assemblies decided to point them to an open microphone where they could express these opinions. There was also an extensive use of the veto sign which in theory is only used in extreme occasions and which was abused by people with little experience in the assembly system, which uh, in turn caused the assemblies to become uh, blocked and the different questions to be raised over and over again. This was also caused because the assembly group was in no case stable and was varying all the time with new people coming in, and people coming out, so that this also contributed to the rediscussion of the different issues. All this has to do with what this scene of splendor. The General Assemblies in Madrid were attended for by between 1,000 and 3,000 people. And this happened in other cities such as Barcelona or Granada. Sociologist Cristina Fletcher-Fominaya speaks of the bewilderment of activists who were used to the system, but had never seen it applied on such a massive scale and on such regularity. Every day, twice a day, thousands of people were meeting together in the General Assembly. However, uh, the dazzle of this powerful image also implied something of a marriage, as the scale of these meetings would become an insurmountable obstacle to participation. In the words of sociologist uh, Miguel Martinez, you knew that in an assembly of a thousand people, if you raise your hand and say an opinion, then maybe it's not worth anything because there are also 999 people who could speak. But however, there was no time for all of them to speak. The schedules and the very long duration of the assemblies would also exclude Those who had responsibilities of care work or of labor in a more conventional uh, capitalist uh, meaning, and uh, in this way, it it favored a certain kind of activists who had no responsibilities of families or labor whatsoever, and was usually a younger kind of activist. Um, Also, the assemblies of the although the assemblies of the commissions and the committees and the working groups had a more manageable scale, the activist, Gemma García Fernández, reflects on the fact that uh, what she considers lately, later, what she later thought about the general assemblies, and she says, and I quote her, an assembly of 2,000 people that fluctuate, moreover, that are not fixed, cannot be an assembly. So this makes us uh, ask ourselves, what is it then? and why did the General Assembly become such a central element for the camp. Beyond its resolutive sense, which was also existing as many decisions were taken and many decisions were planned in the General Assemblies, in spite of all these problems, uh, the role of the Assembly as a place of debate and reflection seems more than evident, and concepts previously restricted to the realm of activism or the academy, now became popularized. Also in the relation to the deliberative processes, Gemma García Fernández considers the General Assembly to be a laboratory of democratic experimentation. And in relation to this idea, the anthropologist Carlos Diz calls it a school of democracy. But beyond uh, what seems apparently to be the core, the word, the general assemblies of Puerta del Sol had other functions. Through repeated protocols and shared gestures, the assembly also acquired the function of a ritual of cohesion. Different bodies, waving their fingers in the same way, seem to abolish the differences between them thanks to the will to do something together. Movements, such as the assembly gesture of clapping, like this, um bring the community together as well as celebrating it and also as with all rituals there was a theatrical dimension for filmmakers cecilia barriga who did a documentary which put together the chilean student the student movements in chile with the occupy wall street and with the madrid eh, puerta del sol camp For the filmmaker Cecilia Barriga, in the camp, the great performance was the assembly. And she uses the term performance in the way that we use it in art, where the ecstatic intervention takes the field of time and space. And as a performance, it condensed the very meaning of democracy, the very sense of democracy of a participation in which all bodies can take part in a very direct manner. Many activists explicitly talk of the notion of the Greek agora and the mythified reading of it as a space for decision making and a space that uh, served as a common forum. This reference, however, as David Graeber has pointed out, can be problematic as there are many other traditions of direct democracy which do not come. Uh, through the Greek uh, Western uh, paradigm. And we can think of many indigenous communities which use direct democracy as an an even spontaneous way for taking decisions. There's also a playful dimension in the the general assemblies, which is common to many uh, forms of prefigurative politics where we rehearse other worlds in the here and now. All of this has something of a game of governing, and decisions were discussed with the same passion as if the central government was going to implant them instantly. This uh, fiction can be uh, recalled in the terms of uh, Jacques Ranciere, and Amador Fernandez Sabater, a Spanish philosopher, calls, of its, um, calls attention to its reality effects, and he says, Says, and I quote him, that fiction is a material force from the moment we believe in it and organize our- ourselves accordingly. So the images of thousands of people waving their hands in a gesture of applause were powerful affirmations of the possibility of managing things collectively. These gatherings belied the stereotype of people's political apathy, a stereotype. Which is which delivers the idea that political parties are necessary to manage what collectivist disinterest leaves unattended. Thousands of people meeting together every day, two times a day, make this affirmation uh, very visible, very visibly wrong, and affirms that people are actually interested in giving er their time to discuss common issues. The legitimacy acquired through presence makes sense considering that in the square. The everyday acquires the meaning of a discourse. Anthropologist David Graeber, speaking of Occupy Wall Street, said that its forms of organization are the ideology of the movement. And Graeber is referring to the practical application of principles such as the abolishment of hierarchies, the search for consensus, collaboration and generosity. The daily activities are an invitation, a proposal, for an existence based on self-management, assembly, generosity, voluntary work, and a sense of community and collective meaning. The experience itself is the best argument for its condition of possibility. The place stands as an empowerment affirmation of the autonomy from the rulers, but its ideas uh, uh, can only expand through extreme visibility. Philosophers Michael Hart and Tony Negri speak of an occupation as a performance that generates political effects, and the utopian discourse of the acampada takes shape through gestures that become more visible than usual. Actions such as cleaning the floor or cooking are carried out visibly and in front of a multitude of observers, and they they thus become militant gestures of another possible everyday life the repetition of which emphasizes values such as civility, work, or generosity. Sociologist Miguel Martinez highlights this theatrical element of the continuous laboriosity of the camp. And he says, let's see, if there are people who in- dedicate themselves to sweeping the square all day long, would you say that's a performance? Well, it's very difficult. What were all these people doing there cleaning all day long or handing out water or making food all day long? The camps are putting on a utopian spectacle, which can make us think also of the concept of the ethical spectacle by Stephen Duncombe, demonstrating by their own practice that another way of life is possible. Day by day, the activities of the square are carried out in front of the eyes of the passerbys, tourists, onlookers, and the media. Many people come to visit the space as in a kind of tourism, and through the attentive observation of journalists and the ubiquity of digital cameras and cell phones, the gestures of the encampment are quickly fixed in images. Filmmaker and professor of comparative literature, Ariela Azulay, says that if revolution is the language, photographs are its way of writing. Through them, the spectacularized everyday, the life, everyday life of the square poured into social networks and media generating a call for imitation. The massive scale of the general assemblies was uh, reduced considerably in the next stage which was the neighborhood assemblies. In the b- very beginning of the camp on May 15 2011 there was uh, two uh, website domains which were bought. One of them was the website for the camp And another one was called Toma Los Barrios, Take the Neighborhoods. And this proves that from the very beginning, there was the idea of extending a movement towards the neighborhood. In the 20th of May, in 116 localities in the community of Madrid, the districts of the city launched their own neighborhood assemblies. And this process was being repeated in a non-centralized and non-coordinated manner in different cities all over the state. So the previous politicization of the neighborhoods was a very influential factor in their size, which was very big at the beginning and which was uh, reduced to a more stable core and uh, when some time passed. Uh, Some precedents uh, can be understood coming from Latin America. In Mexico, after the earthquake in 1985, there was um, a... um, There was a very important surge in uh, fights for the right to to housing. And there was even a character called Super Barrio, Super Neighborhood, which was a fictitious superhero which was defending the interests of the population. And there, there was also a coordination of neighborhood assemblies. Also in Argentina, after the financial crash of 2001, and after the insurrections of December 19 and 20 neighborhoods began to meet in neighborhood assemblies which were also coordinated in different uh, uh, ways which included a complex uh, system which converged in the Buenos Aires in the Parque Centenario with what was called a mesas del enlace or liaison tables and meetings of autonomous assemblies as well and interzone as well as interzonal meetings by neighborhood. In the Spanish states There are precedents precedents in the neighborhood movement uh, formed at the end of the 60s and also in the squatter movement which uh, since the 90s had been more and more willing to increase neighborhoods into its uh, urban struggles. The neighborhood assemblies of the 15M were formed on top of the layers of previous mobilizations and of previous uh, experiences of many activists. In the same way, when COVID-19 struck, the networks of mutual aid were formed also on top of the layers of the neighborhood assemblies of 2011. This makes us think of the ways in which social movements spread seeds that then grow into very different uh, directions. And it can also make us think of what we can learn from this previous wave of mobilization for the next waves of mobilization which have come which are coming and which will come. Thank you.
1: Thank you so much, Julia, and thank you so much, Oliver. And let's maybe start where you just ended, Julia. To put it a bit provokingly, you're an art historian and you speak about the movement that happened 10 years ago, analyzing it, describing its aesthetical aspects, et cetera, from quite some distance. And indeed, one of the questions that accompanied many of these movements was and is, how sustainable are they, actually? Did they manage to implement anything? So, is it really just mainly the iconic images and the personal experiences that they created? I could even say, like, it reminds a bit of performance art. You are there, you experience how Chris Burden gets shot in the arm, and then it's over, and then 10 years later, you watch the video. So, what is actually left? What did change?
5: I think that there is a very interesting difference between the general assemblies, which were massive and uh, which were very also changing and and which uh, I spoke about in the first part of my intervention and where it was more of a collective performance in the sense of a collective spectacle. I think that was an incredible image, but it was also an image that was very transformative for the people who took part in it and which uh, really, really changed the way in which people responded to the economic crisis in the following years, because they had had the empowering experience that they could take part in an answer. They could take part in a reply. And the seeds for smaller and more practical, less symbolical groups were planted by this experience of taking part in this kind of a collective theater, because the image was so powerful that people really had the feeling that they were taking place in very important decisions, even though the scale made it a very strong paradox. And uh, I really think that those enormous uh, spectacles that were the general assemblies in the middle of the cities of the different uh, cities of the state really changed the form of the following 10 years. Because uh, there was uh, groups that were smaller, like the groups against um, um, evictions, against housing evictions. Uh, that group, there was the plataforma afectados por la hipoteca, which was a small group. And after this uh, movement, it became a massive group, which had uh, its versions all over the states, and which organized itself through assemblies also. And A lot of uh, other groups, such as the neighborhood assemblies, had a much more practical dimension. And that was uh, all originated in this uh, enormous uh, spectacles. And if we talk about institutional politics, we have uh, new uh, political parties and political uh, coalitions emerging from that experience, which made it possible to break the hegemony of the prevailing discourse. And then uh, there was this collective empowerment, which indirectly also kind of uh, influenced in the ways of being in the street and which impacts uh, younger generations in which uh, sometimes it's not the same activists, but nonetheless are influenced by it, such as the feminist movement and the climate justice movement. So
6: in a way, I am Can say okay there's the, there's the small small assemblies which might be more effective and also sustainable and, and specific in d- different places and then there's the large ex- assemblies that have also the purpose of well uh, motivating and, and, uh, and enthusiasm uh, uh, creating and group dynamics and, and belonging uh, uh, and then they are even larger mediated and they have a role like how the, how the image is spread uh, spread uh, around the world, in a way. So these, three, so there are three, maybe three different kind of assemblies, even though so they might be the same actually sometimes. Uh, and and you, Oliver, of course, are you are part of the of uh, making. You're part of uh, the 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 first two, but uh, basically your 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 job then is to be part of the third uh, uh, occupation, and where your 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 films also contributed uh, to to to. to, to continuing this image and i guess and to influence other movements to take up similar structures and forms and and, and so on so how do you uh, it was also made, also mentioned in 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 Julia's talk like the role of of media and there's a documentation on the website on, on Julia's page and uh, from out of assembly where uh, the emphasis, the, the importance of Twitter and filming and websites is, is very much emphasized also this, this spreading of, of the information. And so, so, can you describe, how do you think Oliver, with, with the different assemblies that you watched, how much do they actually communicate with each other or are based on each other? And and for example, the factory occupations, like how do they relate to other occupations? Do they, do do people relate to them or in in which way?
3: Hmm.
2: Yeah, uh, thanks. Uh, Very good question. Um, There's lots to which could be referred to. Uh, I think in the case of these worker control factories, there's really a lot of exchange between the different uh, businesses. Uh, there are, for example, annual meetings. Uh, they always take place in a different location, usually in one of the worker controlled factories. Uh, th- there's also uh, different people, uh, one or two people from the factories, usually with someone who uh, uh, supports them and speaks English, uh, traveling around to different countries, doing kind of a PR work for worker controlled factories. And therefore I think there's also quite a good knowledge between what the other factories are doing, what are the main problems. And there's also a lot of exchange and also kind of a mutual aid. So for example, you can get in Uh, in in solidarity networks that maybe uh, try to purchase or to sell one of the products that is being produced in one of the factories, you might also find then the soap by Viome or the um, organic tea of SCOP tea, for example. So in relation to the square and uh, Occupy movements, um, actually, the same question you raised, I also had for the participants. And I mean, of course, I only talked to a limited um, number of participants because, in addition to documenting the assemblies, I more or less created my own small uh, work meetings, assembling five or six participants of. Uh, the movements and uh, gave them a set of questions about how they organize and uh, and one of them was also how they relate to each other and very often the answer was something very practical Uh, for example uh, you learn of how this or that movement uh, uh, washes up the tear gas so that it does not uh, hurt so much uh, there was the idea to use Coke, for example. I think this experience came from the Egypt uh, uh, movements and from Egypt uh, activists. So very often it's on uh, on such a small personal level and not the huge thing of how to organize an assembly that's technically working well and uh, cannot so easily be disturbed by people that simply block as uh, Julia was. Uh, pointing
6: to, for example. I mean, it's also, I think what's interesting uh, in this is also the, I mean, these movements are often described like almost like mushrooms that pop up all over the world. So one one disappears and somewhere else it pops up. And this is um, due to, I guess, the images that created and so on. And and, and, and and you also were mentioning that, uh, Julia, that of course they are, they are examples and people feel empowered because they know there was an example of something, but it's also, as you, as you both mentioned, a matter of um, existing techniques and 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 people that know how to organize it in the end and that often take over quite, quite fast. So it's not, doesn't really actually pop up out of the middle of nowhere. There are some people on the ground working and maybe a little bit relating to the idea of pre-enactment that we had in the last edition, like there's a preparation of training for something and then suddenly, often to the surprise of the activists on the ground, suddenly it gains momentum and becomes huge. And then there are still certain skills, techniques that are being used to to facilitate it and and that are taken over also, which was quite interesting to see how, I mean, how fast suddenly, yeah, the the sign language that you mentioned is, is, uh, is, which exists for a long time, but was really known by, I guess, a small minority of people and suddenly become popular all uh, in different places in the world and and so on. I would maybe uh, talk a bit also in terms which is related to the sizes of these assemblies. Something that you also both mentioned, or mentioned both of your contributions, Um, the fact that somehow the assembly suggests to be very open and inviting to everybody. So, so it uh, it it should uh, be able to encompass everybody. And then there are different reasons why this is not necessarily uh, functioning. Uh, They are um pragmatic like uh, they become too big as as it was mentioned um uh, there are people that kind of like um maybe abuse it know, know, knowingly or not knowingly uh, for for the wrong kind of behaviors uh, and and, and own interests et cetera, and so on but there's also um as you it's very beautiful to be seen in, uh, to be seen in your uh, last example oliver uh, the need to protect uh, members of it from, for example, from police, but maybe also from political, uh, political opponents and and other things. So there are many many reasons why actually this openness also has limits. Mm-hmm. Uh, how how is this reflected? This kind of like need to be open and and at the same time need to be also to protect, to be efficient, to still be be able to function in a way. Mm-hmm.
5: For me. Uh, Something that was uh, coming to mind all the time also during uh, Oliver's uh, intervention and I think it probably has to do with the fact that he's an artist and I'm an art historian is the question of visibility. So the idea of the restrictiveness or the scale, I think it can also be uh, thought about in terms of visibility. When is the assembly primarily visible? So for example, the general assemblies of the camp movements were very visible, whereas other kinds of uh, more planning assemblies were much more invisible, or which activists can afford to become visible and which cannot. So I think that's also like a layer which can be added to these uh, layers of uh, efficacy and also of uh, scale. Hmm. I don't
3: know
5: what you think, Oliver.
3: Yeah,
2: I mean, I I worked on all these different movements and all these different assemblies but uh, even though we use the term assembly, uh, they are actually quite different from each other and they also have completely different functions, I think. Functions for the people who participate in it, uh, but also uh, uh, in in terms of what is being discussed there. So uh, I think while Uh, the assemblies of 15M or the Occupy uh, movement or uh, Syntagma Square movement in in Athens, for many, many people uh, had a function, for example, to, to just take this opportunity to speak in public space. And I think this is also on a personal level something very beautiful and something super important that people that are maybe 50 or 60 years old never had the chance to talk in public space and that hundreds or even thousands of people listen to them and to take it serious uh, is I think something of a huge importance. And it also just shows that everybody's voice is being valued. But as we all know, very often these are very open assemblies were not very efficient in order to really make uh, central decisions also for the movement. Uh, and if we just look at these assemblies of the worker-controlled factories, these are uh, meetings with the main... Uh, so this is not just for the... the uh, for the goal of just to meet but it's just a decision-making body, right? it's very practical things that are being decided and discussed on this uh, assembly, like how do we uh, spend our income? How much do we pay uh, ourselves? And how much do we invest into raw materials we need? Or uh, how much do we put aside because we need to buy some new machinery? and uh, or how do we defend our uh, our factory legally because um, they are all occupied factories so they are usually oppressed by uh, different sides and there is police intervention and lawyers that try to to get the real estate uh, back so uh, we are talking really about very very different things that, um, that uh, have very different meaning, I think, also for, for the people who participate in it. And yeah, and how do all these things start? I think I, I observed this in, in several times uh, in the case of the worker-controlled factories. Uh, it's very often that as soon as the workers struggle, They cannot win a struggle on their own. They need support from communities. Uh, This can be from neighboring factories or just from uh, people from the neighborhood. And very often, uh, local activists support these struggles and they also bring in certain ideas. Uh, These ideas can also brought in by certain workers, maybe from other factories. So in the Rimafro factory in Milan, on which I worked, uh, there was a, a central uh, worker who is a communist and who came actually from uh, Alfa Romeo, uh, Romeo uh, plant and he was retired. And so he t- had time to uh, involve in this uh, new worker struggle. And I think this was just a central person, just because he had such a lot of knowledge about how to organize, how to strike, how to talk to media and how to put together a huge campaign. Um, so I think individuals are very important to set up an um, uh, important and, and, and uh, uh, successful strike and assembly.
5: I think there's this yeah. kind of a tradition that uh, gets passed on as uh, Oliver was saying through individuals through certain spaces. For example, in Spain, uh, squatted social centers are very important uh, nodes for the transmission of activist knowledge. So I think there's like, yes, there's, uh, as you were saying, Oliver, there's like people and there's like places and some kind of a folklore also of things that are like uh, common in the air or something. And which uh, pass on from one generation to another, but that are also subject to changes.
6: I think uh, of course we so often when somebody says assemblies, and also here we talk a lot about these big ex- assemblies, and that's why the examples of for the factory uh, occupations are so so very uh, interesting, and I'm every time again astonished also how touching it is that you can really see. How, uh, you know, democracy not in, only work in a way, but like being, having to be invented to a degree again by by talking to each other. What what is talked about and in a way, and in, in a very in that same time has a very big, a concrete effect. So these places still they need to function at the same time. So it's so uh, while of course the big occupations. Want to change a bigger system, uh, by and and by this are not they are not the governments of the countries or the uh, of the UN or whatever. But they they are kind of like try to be models also for what could function on a bigger level. But it's more difficult to say <laughs> is it successful or not because it cannot directly so directly being measured. Where in the factories uh, and and the examples you have, Oliver, um, are examples of, of quite sustained occupations over many years uh, by now. So they they are quite. Uh, quite effective in this. I just was thinking also in terms of um, the openness and not openness, which I had the feeling maybe I'm wrong, but there's also, together with this social media and the image production and so on, which was so strong uh, from 2011 on, and it was also changed to a degree to the movements before I, where it also existed, but not on this this large scale and how strategic this was done, the mediation of it also. You, Oliver, you described it that in Occupy Wall Street there, of course you are filming, what, what else would you do there? Where before people say, so, and also I had a feeling maybe that also the kind of, it was not only the media, but it was also trying to really be open. So the experience at Occupy Wall Street, for me was really like, ah, yeah, it's possible to come in there and not being an outsider. And actually from in, in very different levels of engagement. So it's okay to be there for a couple of hours. Uh, and then you might come back and, and and join the different committees and come back every day and get engaged, or you take your backpack and move there uh, with a the tent. But but it's it, it's it's possible. Where very often before and, and, and maybe I'm a bit black and white on it. I think that it was often not so easy to penetrate these these groups. They had a different code and and and, and it was so it's, so there was also some learning and openness at least uh, from my from my own experience. How is that true? And how did that come? Was it a strategic decision or were, um, how, how did... Uh, can you say something about this?
2: Julia, oh, yeah, would you like to... I could. Start.
5: I was in Occupy Wall Street later, I was in 2012. But they did say, some people say that when they introduced the slogan, we are the 99%, that there was like a change in the kind of people who were there, and there was like an openness. And also, there's this uh, whole uh, um, process when there was a much more closed group, and then somebody wanted to hold a general assembly near the Bull of Wall Street, near the statue of the Bull of Wall Street. So, I think it was very conscious in Occupy Wall Street in New York. In Spain, it was very. I think the core people who started it were coming already from a, an activist and kind of a countercultural networks that were already very much uh, wanting to be more open than previous activist uh, ghettos. And I think what's happened during some time, which is also controversial and which has to do with uh, these enormous massive assemblies, is that activism became mainstream, so to say, And this also meant that there were different levels of engagement, as uh, you were saying, Florian, that some people would just like watch and just come by, and all of the levels were welcome. And I think that was very, very interesting and very touching.
2: I think it's also important uh, to highlight that most of these meetings took place in public space. And I mean, it's a definition of public space that it is, or at least should be public, but at least it's very accessible just um, to anyone who just uh, wishes to be part of it. And I think uh, most or all of these movements, they tried to do something uh, that, uh, yeah, can also be seen in distinction uh, to representative democracy which as it uh, appears nowadays uh, is representative only to a very limited amount of people and primarily it's uh, representative towards capital. And uh, so the idea is always to have something that is inclusive and that's open to everyone. And I think uh, this is just uh, super uh, important to have something like this. So when I I even had the possibility to be twice in New York, while the Occupy movement was uh, very active there. And um, usually you had all the meeting dates uh, of assemblies, but also of smaller work meetings just online. So uh, already while in Vienna, I could work on my schedule and almost pick out uh, those work meetings that I found in particular interesting because they had also overlapping schedules, of course, and uh, uh, and even for some might have been delayed, maybe for hours or, or so. In general, it was very well organized and very open, I would say.
5: I think that there was this hospitality.
3: Hmm.
6: And it- it's it's more. So sorry. Yep.
5: No, I was just thinking that when there was the camps, it was as if the public space turned into an enormous house that was open to everybody. So there was this kind of hospitality of giving everybody food, giving everybody shelter, kind of um, this hybrid between uh, public space understood as a space for the community. And also kind of uh, it's merging with a private space that was not uh, closed.
6: I mean, you 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 uh, mentioned the term generosity in your your talk, but I think it's even more because it's also. I mean, it's 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 fucking hard, huh? It's like like a lot. You have a lot of problems. It, it's very vulnerable the situation. Yeah, I mean, it, it literally with the you can think of the tent walls that are just the same plastic layer to sh- to protect you from the outside. And we know, of course, th- that there was problems with violence, with sexual harassment, with uh, with aggressions also, that all were supposed to, to be dealt with alcoholism and so on, to dealt with within the system, not to say, okay, now we kick you out and the police has to come, but we have to deal with it uh, ourselves, which I found really, uh, it, it was something almost physically um, you know, tangible, this, this, this um, the task of, of of trying to change the world and change the discourse of the media and at the same time uh, dealing with uh, with uh, hard facts of of the society we, we live in and and trying to so- to solve this and and to so- solve these conflicts uh, uh, which which was i i, th- I think really um, quite quite a task and i remember it, but also produced in this committee is really uh, beautiful moments i remember being in the committee with um uh, which was the uh, committee where the guards, the people that were kind of guarding and the security basically of Occupy Wall Street. And these of course were the guys, you know, like um, um, quite of them said, yeah, they, they were ex-convicts and, and so on. And them talking about non-violence and why somebody was too aggressive in reacting somewhere was of course seeing really a learning process and uh, and the negotiation process, which was really uh, touching, but I also think uh, actually really, really did change something. And, uh, um, <laughs> uh, maybe uh, maybe we answered it by this already a bit, but but I find it also a stunning thing, of course, when we see and we, these images of of masses together and we we are um, of course, as I said, we might also be a bit nostalgic at the moment for all masses assembling, but um there's I, I'm kind of also, also a bit surprised at the same time, maybe about myself, about the positive view on masses, because masses are not necessarily something which we which we like. So, so where's the is there also a tipping point? Now I'm speaking about the bigger assemblies and the bigger conventions again, and less about the factory o- occupation. Is there a tipping point of something where where this mass also might become uncanny? I mean, there is also with all all. Um, non-hierarchic strategies, there's, of course, also a certain violence involved at moments. I remember the first time I actually encountered the human mic was to silence somebody who didn't have the right to speak. So it was actually quite a violent moment. Uh, I mean, justified, I guess, but, but still it was, you know, to hear a mask speaking over somebody uh, to support the one who rightfully speaks against one who is not, it, it's not his turn. So, so do you, did, were there all the moments for you where you thought, okay, this mask as 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 beautiful as it is, as utopian as it is, uh, and so on is also threatening at moments or could be threatening
2: I never <laughs> any threats uh, I would also not describe these uh, multiplicities of people as masses, so I always saw them as our movements and Usually I felt so inspired and proud to be there and to listen to this and to be somehow part of it. But uh, I felt, um, uh, yeah, threats f- uh, more like uh, in demonstrations when there was police intervention, uh, but, but not in these uh, mass meetings. So for me it was something where I could really take out a lot of energy so I felt usually energized for days or weeks after just simply participating there and listening and seeing the people and um, and so I, yeah this is more what what I uh, took out of, of this
5: yes me too
6: and, and and maybe before we we open up um, even so that would have been no uh, beautiful and <laughs> in itself, but but one thing I might maybe want to address also because um, in two editions we also have Chantal Muffi and Oliver Marchand was in the last edition, people that are, I would say, rather skeptical again uh, towards the idea of consensus uh, as it is uh, um, practice, practiced in a lot of these assemblies. Um, and and. I wonder, maybe just uh, also your view, view on this, on the idea of consensus, which in certain moments of negotiating things might uh, are very plausible and and also probably also energizing because you have to make an effort to go through this and end up somewhere. But also um, uh, might might uh, one of the limitations of the of the assemblies and and I, also in terms of representation that 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 you both mentioned, like uh, is representation possible in, in which scale. And I know David Graeber is very optimist, was very optimistic about this, uh, but uh, I guess Chantal Mouffe and Oliver Marchand and others would say, no, that's actually the limitations of these of these movements, of these assemblies, that they, 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 they are not able to multiply in a, w- in, in a way and to, to get big and sustainable enough, because, also because of the idea of consensus.
5: For me, uh, there was um, for me that's more of a problem of the direct of the directness. What is the tipping point in which things cannot be direct anymore? Of scale, what is the scale tipping point? And I would love to know your your views about that because that's what made the enormous assembly symbolic. Which I think it also had a certain. Uh, utility, not only what Oliver was saying of people speaking in public and that being empowering, but I think it also had a ritual and kind of a body uh, role, you know, the role of some people doing the same thing with their body. I think it's kind of uh, something happening, some kind of political thought through the realm of the body that is happening. Uh, With the consensus, there was uh, this... um, there was differences between the different camps in Spain. So for example, activists in Barcelona were surprised that Madrid, that there was a consensus. In Barcelona, there was kind of this uh, broad majority idea. In other camps, uh, Madrid one of the, being one of the most um, radical cases, you needed consensus. And uh, that became very violent at some point. Especially when they were there was talk of uh, putting away the camp of leaving the square that was very violent and what ended happening is that they invented a new gesture that did not block which is really kind of a hijacking of the <laughs> of the very idea and I think that c- consensus uh well it's not what I think, but consensus really needs of a Kind of collective education and active listening and a lot of empathy which is maybe a lot to ask on a regular everyday uh, consistent basis.
2: I think in general it's great to start uh, with the idea and with the hope that it's possible to find decision in a consensual manner and then on a practical Matter in most of the cases, you will realize that it's not so easy, and you might end up with kind of a mixture uh, but uh, I think it should not be so pragmatic just sort of for uh, just for the goal to to reach consensus. I mean, if it's possible in a smaller group, like I think on on the chart, for example. Where John Jordan and others are active, I think most of the times they managed to come up to decisions, uh, uh, to consensual decisions. But there are a few hundred people, and uh, even though they are very different, very different identities, very different backgrounds, they still have some common attempts, like defending their space against an invading police or an enemy state. Uh, And as long as you have this common goal, I think uh, a consensual decision-making process might work. If you just have a meeting in a place, then it's probably not so effective because just any idiot uh, might come to disrupt and re-experience this.
1: Thank you very much, Julia. Thank you very much, Oliver, for your really inspiring insights. Uh, whoever wants to learn more, I refer again to our website where you find, amongst other materials, also texts by Julia Ramirez Blanco and films by Oliver Resler. In our next episode, I will be joined by political theorist Jody Dean, who very much advocates for more sustainable forms of movement, namely for organizing in a party, and by Jonas Dahl, who as an artist for many years has created very different kinds of assemblies, and coined the term Assemblism. Thank you for listening, and I hope you will be back.